Hello, you're watching Global Investor on Business Day TV. I'm Stephen Gunyan. Simon Brown from Just One Lap joins me at the desk tonight to dissect all the latest global markets news and guide us what's going to be driving equities this year. Later in the show, we'll also be joined on the line by Ken Odeluga from City Index in London to get his perspective. All that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, shares of Facebook fell on Friday after CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced changes to the website's newsfeed that he said would hit user engagement in the near term. He says the changes will help users form more meaningful social interactions and will see more from family and friends and less from brands and publishers. U.S. banking giants J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo kicked off the fourth quarter earnings season with mixed results. Wells Fargo's numbers were negatively impacted by legal costs relating to its fake account scandal, while J.P. Morgan was affected by a hefty one-time charge related to a new tax code. The two, however, still managed to beat Wall Street's expectations, even though Wells Fargo fell short on revenue. And world markets are upbeat ahead of a bumper week for corporate earnings in the U.S., but oil, the euro and China could also shift sentiment. Here's more on that. Bringing your money back into the country can be expensive, especially if you're J.P. Morgan. Its $2.4 billion charge announced on Friday as a one-time repatriation hit on income kept abroad was bigger than expected. But markets took it in their stride, braced as they are for the impact of Donald Trump's tax bill that will be seen in this week's heavy load of U.S. corporate releases. The most interesting thing will be the wider corporate earnings and the comments about what will happen to the tax cuts. Where are they going to go? Are they going to go into dividends? Are they going to go investment? Are they going to go into wage rises? Sentiment though, good. As markets pencil in a rise of nearly 12% in S&P 500 earnings for the last quarter. US companies are in a very healthy position and there are some very, very good tailwinds taking them on their way. Germany's biggest union of metal workers wants wage rises too, around 6%, adding to concerns over inflation in the Eurozone and what that might mean for the ECB as the economy gathers speed. Traders are eyeing the European single currency to see whether it can go on making gains after the three-year highs it hit on Friday. Oil, too, in focus after it breached key levels at $70 a barrel. It is likely that, uh, particularly in the US, that we will have extra supply uh, coming on board and that should help uh, keep a lid uh, potentially on, on oil prices. But I, I think against the backdrop of, of, of strong global growth, uh, perhaps not too surprising that we are seeing uh, uh, these stronger uh, position in oil prices. China's growth is in the frame on Thursday. Policy sources tell Reuters Beijing is likely to keep its target at around 6.5% in 2018, unchanged from last year. The latest numbers come with retail sales data that could tip the debate over Chinese consumers and whether they're able to push demand forward, even while facing a crackdown on cheap credit. So Simon Brown from Just One Lap joining me in studio. So um, Wall Street really starting 2018 where it left 20, 2017 with new record highs uh, <laughs> daily. It, absolutely, and, and I mean almost vertical. I mean that that that. You know, I was having a look at the at the, the the chart just for January and what we are two weeks into the into the year, um, and it is just powering ahead. 2017 was one of the best years, not so much in necessarily in percentages, although it's certainly up there. But in terms of lack of volatility, you know, we didn't have any major pull the entire 12 months. And, and the VIX was particularly low for, for a, a large part of the year. The VIX has been setting all-time low records down at 9 and, 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 and you know, sub-10, etc. Numbers which, which typically are, are completely unheard of in, in, in that space. So we really have had a scenario of 
just a, an, a complete lack of fear in the market. You know, VIX is indicator of fear. We've seen the market, the, the S&P, the Dow, etc., be completely lacking volatility, um, which truthfully is a good time to probably have a little bit of caution. But, you know, not to the point where you stand in front of the train and tell it to stop because this market has got momentum. One day the momentum will disappear, but for now it has, and that momentum is to the upside. What do you think it will take for that momentum to disappear, Simon? I, I, you know, I'm not so spooked by, so this is the, the second longest bull market in the U.S. in terms of duration and also in terms of, of, of percentage gains. Um, and there's no reason why we can't potentially have the longest. We need to remember that up until, you know, the, the crisis of, of, of uh, 08, 09, we had pretty much, and even the recovery post that, we had pretty much had a secular bear market in the U.S. where it, in a decade or so from that peak of, of dot-com mania, had done nothing. You know, the 10,000 level breached it, went back, it, it had done absolutely nothing. To then go into what may ultimately become, you know, the best bull market rally of, of all time at this point is, is not unprecedented. What stops it? I have no idea. I mean, you know, in hindsight, when something stops it, it's always like, oh, yeah, that, that was obvious. Um, but you don't, at that point, I mean, it, it's going to be something which, which initially probably seems benign um, and then eventually t causes it to crater. But you know, could we have another bullish 2018 for, for, for global markets? Short answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Is it warranted? So, and, and what does justify the gains that we are seeing? So we're starting to see the the, the fourth quarter earnings starting to dribble through a couple of the banks coming up with numbers. Do the earnings um, live up to the expectations? They do. I mean, make no mistake, price has got ahead of, of valuations. Um, but that's what happened. That's what a bull market is. And in a bear market, you know, valuations, this is how it works. But it's not a case of that it is, there's a complete disconnect. This is not a, a dot-com style bubble by any stretch. There are earnings coming through. We've seen it. We, we're still in... in relatively record low interest rates on, on a global basis, certainly in our developed markets. Um, we're, we're seeing unemployment in the U.S. come down to sub 5% as a, as a total number. What we're now seeing is discouraged workers who are not included start going back into, in, into the workforce. So certainly, make no mistake, the U.S. economy has been and is a strong economy at this point. Um, and we're seeing, we're seeing Europe slowly coming to the party. You know, three years ago, Europe was kind of nowhere. Uh, Europe had a, tw a good 2017. We look at the numbers coming out of, mm -hmm. out of Germany, a surplus of a quarter of a trillion dollars in Germany. Um, I, I think that, that we're going to start seeing the bull market to a degree shift to, to, to the European markets. They've been having it, but not to the degree that we've seen in the US. And even if we go across to Japan, I mean, even the Japanese market uh, is, is showing some serious strength. So we are seeing a, a broad uh, uh, bull market happening, and it has been underpinned in part by the fundamentals. And some of those fundamentals are low interest rates, uh, which is of concern. Some of it is continued quantitative easing in, in Europe, uh, you know, Draghi and the like. And, and those are, are not normal scenarios, but for now they drive it. And maybe it's going to be something as boring as interest rates, which end it. You know, eventually the Fed gets their rate to 4%. It's going to take some time. But that could be that trigger where, where folks suddenly start moving into, in, in, into bonds and cash. Mm -hmm. so, so we have seen those gradual interest rate hikes in the United States. And of course, that is good for banks. 
So JP Morgan benefiting from those higher interest rates because you have the endowment effect. Um, so, so what did you make of the, the numbers that we saw from JP Morgan and Wells Fargo? I, I, I thought, I mean, the different banks, JP Morgan obviously doing a lot of trading on their side as well. Um, both a little light for the individual reasons, as we mentioned in, the, in, in that clip. The, the, the JP Morgan, I mean, those sort of, of financial institutions, they like the, 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 the increase in the rates. They really like bull markets. So bull markets just constantly pulling new people in, pulling more money in. Mm creating wealth um, and, and the best advert for a stockbroker is someone making money who tells their buddy and, and they come along as well. Wells Fargo much more in the traditional banking side of scenario and again with, with Americans you know, being better off with unemployment at, 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 at sub 5% and the like with growth coming through um, with we've seen for example Walmart upping minimum wage to $11 an hour on the back of, of the tax cut and the like that's certainly going to help transactional it's going to help lending it's going to help confidence we're seeing that confidence in, in, in the u.s consumer and that's going to help the transactional banks as well and i saw somewhere that um, u.s holiday spending it's a 12-year high over the christmas period and, and apparently I, I saw reports absolutely a really really good holiday spending which didn't end on the 24th i mean folks came back on the 26th which is What's not a holiday and buy more things well absolutely and we're, we're, you know the stores were, were, were busy again and and this started off with a, a for, for, for US markets a really good uh, uh, Black Friday in late November um, and, and followed through for, for, for the entire month. So we're probably going to start seeing results certainly from the, the retailers in the US showing really good numbers. I mean Amazon is probably going to have a, an absolute knockout quarter in, in, in that sense and it, it, it's underpinning that, that bull market. I say again prices do get ahead of the valuations, but at least it's not air pockets. At least we could, you know, it's not a case of, you know, there's no growth happening. There's no earnings increases happening. At least that doesn't underpin the, 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 the elevated share prices. Mm. Well, well, let's look at the fangs then, because it was the tech shares that were the main drivers of the market gains last year. <laughs> um, and Facebook, we saw that clip. The shares were done on Friday. Um, they've changed their news feed, uh, which they say is going to affect user engagements in the short term. And you're going to see less of some things and more of family and friends and the likes. And what does this do to their advertising um, content, though? Because that's their big revenue source, isn't so it? So the advertising, so, so there's two ways they generate. In, in, in the out-and-out in out advertising, that shouldn't have a, a massive impact because those are those annoying little things on the side. And I don't know if you've ever clicked on one. I, I if I have, it was I a mistake. Disregard them. Well, that's it. You hardly even notice them in truth. Um, so they're still there. Um, and if engagement, you know, the, the whole point is that Facebook has become too much of a driving down a highway and just seeing hundreds and hundreds of billboards. Now they want us to get back to talking to your friends and actually doing what its core thing is. Mm -hmm. And if that's good for Facebook, and if it means that people have a better experience on Facebook and therefore perhaps spend a little more time on Facebook, that's Could be good, for advertising. good for advertisers. The difference is, is the publishers you're pushing content onto there. The, the big media houses and the like who then paying to get put in front of you and Facebook is going to say if, if the theory is to be believed is that well actually we don't want to take your money so that is going to hurt them a bit um, in truth it's probably going to it's going to hurt those content providers a heck lot more I know every time I put a, 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 a content on a, 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 under the, the the work brand you know they come and say oh you know X and number of added sixty dollars and got you know so many more views etc now the theory is less of that so it's going it's to hurt them. It, it comes to the hard part between, and, and Facebook had veered off down the profit line, and the profit line, not always good for the, for, the, for the engagement and the interaction. They need to get that balance right, and that's going to be the challenge for Facebook going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Amazon. Is it going to be able to continue its run this year? 
So I had a look at it. I mean, up over 60% last year. And when you're talking a company that's now 600 billion uh, US dollars, that's a lot of gain in it. But Amazon is absolutely a machine. Uh, you know, they've gone back into traditional bricks and mortars with their books. Um, they bought Whole Foods. Um, and, and, and from people I've spoken to, have, have, have you, you can quantifiably see a difference in that food is cheaper. And, and also you can buy Kindles and, and, and Echoes and the like. Um, I think they probably can. I, they, they really... You get a sense that they kind of spent the first 20 years um, or 25 years kind of perfecting it, and now they're just turning that switch up. And you know, there's almost nothing you can't buy. And you speak to Americans who have Amazon Prime, um, and it has replaced their, their shopping experience. Okay, well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we take a look at what's going to be driving global equities this year. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investor. Still with me in studio, just one lap, Simon Braun. Joining us on the line is Marcus Analyst at City Index, Ken Odiluga. And good evening, Ken. So, uh, Happy New Year. And tell us, are you recalibrating your view of the market? What are the big drivers that you see ahead? Hello, Ken. Okay, well, we don't seem to be hearing Ken at the moment. So um, you talked about Amazon, uh, and I wanted to ask you, and we didn't get a chance, are you, would you be buying Amazon at current levels after last year's strong run? I, yes, I mean, I, you know, and, and, and I would have preferved to have bought it a year ago, of course, that makes no, no doubt You'd of that. You'd have preferred to have bought Bitcoin a year ago. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I bought Amazon back in 1999 and, and held through everything else. It's just, if you, if you look at their business model and, and how they operate and how they do it and, 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 and how they, they totally integrate into your life and, and how um, uh, uh, Echo, you don't want to say the A word, how Echo, you know, a lot of people don't like it, and, but, but we're seeing one in six American households now have a smart listening device, be it a, a, a Google or, or, or an Amazon Echo, and, and predominantly it's Amazon Echo. Google's a bit late to that party. Apple's releasing their one perhaps this month or next. We'll see how that goes. But what, what Amazon's managed to do is, is, is simplify that shopping process. And, and, and we're old enough to remember the days of, of going to a shopping mall and wanting a pair of jeans and having to go to seven different stalls to do price comparison and all of yeah. that sort of thing. And Amazon does it for you in a click. And then they deliver it over two days at, at no extra cost. And, and, and they're just more and more integrating in, into our lives. They've got Amazon web servers. They've, they've, they've got original content. They, you know, they've got Amazon Music. And, and they're almost becoming the, 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 the one-stop place that a, that a consumer needs. Now, I'm not calling the death of, of, of bricks and mortar. But certainly, if you, know, if you live in America and you've got Amazon Prime and you live in one of the prime areas, you no longer need to, to, to go out as much. Uh, small things like you know, I go to my deli and I might buy you know, some fresh produce and, and the like. And, well, Amazon's like, well, we can do that for you, you know, uh, which is Whole Foods mm -hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Um, and and, and it's, it's the scale that they now have. And, and you know, when Jeff Bezos started and you know, his claim to fame was we sell books, every book, um, and that's true, he does and, and the like, but now he sells abs absolutely everything. Um, and, and it has become an absolute retail beast. And the, the question then comes, and I was listening to a podcast for over the weekend out of, out of the US, and the question the host put to the guests was, how would your life be if Amazon didn't exist tomorrow? Um, and, and there was abject horror. There was like, well, hang, you know, like, how am I going to do this? Um, and, and it's small things, you know, that, that they bought Zappos, which is, which is, you know, shoes. Would you buy shoes online? No, but people do, because if you don't like them, you send them back, no cost, 
credit refund, no questions asked. Mm. Um, and they've got their tentacles everywhere. We can all become couch potatoes. You need never leave your sofa again. You never, absolutely. So I want to chat to Ken, and hopefully we're getting him on the line, um, about some of the kind of bigger themes that could be driving markets this year. And we've got, um, I suppose, uh, in Europe, um, we have Germany working towards getting a coalition together. And it looks like that the social democrats and the Christian democrats could align, which could push the whole European agenda. Does that, does that change growth patterns in Europe? Does it change um, where you'd be investing in Europe? So I certainly, and I alluded to it earlier, the US has had a really, really good run. Can the S&P Dow Jones give us another 20% year? Probably not. They're probably going to give us closer to 10 or 11, maybe 12. Still a, a very, very chunky number, and even 8% is well ahead of US inflation. Um, and I, my sense is that, that Europe's probably going to be the, bet, the better point. Now, you know, Europe is, 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 is a lot of markets. Some of it is, frankly, still Greece. Other bits of it is, is, is Italy and the like. But your two key economies in Europe is, is, is Germany and, and France. And Germany is, is an absolute powerhouse, and, and, and they, 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 they're going to get their, 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 their political solution. It seems that, as you said, Angela Merkel's going to get her coalition that she's looking for, giving her that, that fourth term. Um, they've had a really strong year. The deep irony is that they're largely a, a manufacturing economy, but you know they manufacture the stuff the rest of the world wants. Um, and I think we can start seeing Europe sort of coming to the party to to a larger degree. And and my sense is, if you look at the Eurostox 50, which is the the the, the, the sort of index that covers Europe um, and dominated by France and, and 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 Germany, I think that's probably going to be a better performing index than 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 the U.S. indices um, as Europe kind of plays catch up to the recovery. We need to remember Europe was, was late to quantitative easing, so the US is now at that point of raising rates, whereas Europe is still in that very low rate environment, um, still doing the, 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 the buybacks and the like, and, and, and they need to come through that, um, and that will be spooky, as we saw with the US. But at least as traders and investors, in a sense, we've got a playbook. We can almost say, well, we saw how this happened with the US, and it did work. And we need to remember the deep concerns around quantitative easing one, two, and three, the, the deep concerns around turning those taps off and how would it play. Well, now we know how it plays out. Now we've got that playbook. It gives us a little more confidence, in a sense, um, and that European economy has been recovering. And, and I think we're going to, you know, and it's not just a, 2018 story. It probably runs 19 and perhaps even into 20, except for that black swan lurking somewhere, which takes it all down again. But until the black swan, we're in business. Mm. I think we have Ken back on the line. Um, Ken, uh, I don't know if you've been listening in. Would you agree with, uh, with Simon that there are perhaps bigger opportunities uh, and better growth uh, ahead for Europe this year than the United States markets? Yes, uh, good afternoon. I am actually indeed, indeed back on the line. Very good, li uh, very good line it is. Um, yes, broadly speaking, I would agree with that. Um, we're looking at, after all, what to all intents and purposes is the beginning of the growth story for the Eurozone, whereas uh, for, the for the United States, of course, um, the growth story is pretty, um, it's pretty mature. I mean, I don't necessarily think that it's um, over by any means. Um, I think it's... Um, you know, the, the story in the United States can certainly remain underpinned. Um, we see all sorts of signs of that. And um, there's really no indication whatsoever that um, the uh, United States um, economic um, uh, strength and rebound um, has run its course um, at all. Uh, but yes, um, if you look at the European uh, Union, uh, Western Europe uh, most uh, particularly, you're seeing a situation where um, the 
green shoots of growth that we saw um, last year have really sort of started to blossom. And um, uh, you're looking at, uh, on the number of uh, factors, um, unequivocal signs that um, uh, growth has returned. And, uh, you know, we are really quite early in the game. So, yes, I would uh, agree with that, generally speaking. Any particular sectors, Ken, that you would be looking at for those investments opportunities, given the growth that you're expecting? Well, I mean, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to say <clears throat> banks um, uh, for, to begin with, just because you know, obviously, uh, they have been truly unloved <laughs> for the last um, uh, decade or so, and uh, you know, we really ought to always look for value and um, you know, look for reversions. I mean, reversion situations or opportunities, and um, you know, many of the larger European banks have uh, uh, started to get their houses in order. I mean, I'm saying they started to get their houses in order probably are in the root of health they've been for probably uh, a decade. There are some pockets of, uh, um, you know, that remain problems. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, you know, I mean, I think if you had to put banks, land banks in a situation where they, you know, had to survive, you know, uh, with their wits about them, they're in much better shape, many of them, than they were five, six, seven years ago. So banks that maybe uh, comes to mind, uh, I mean, we're looking for high quality, um, you know, names here, really, um, large cap names of the major indices. Um, really never do go out of fashion and some of them can maintain their ability to to grow uh, for uh, far longer than um, you know than the, than the flash in the pan and I think in, the, in Europe we see far fewer of the so-called growth stories you know larger um, technology names so we do need to fall back on some of these more traditional sectors and those are, those are the kind of things that come to mind mm -hmm. yeah, Ken Simon here you, you mentioned more traditional does commodities come into that place certainly 2018 started off we've seen most commodities most notably obviously gold and and, and oil moving well is, is that a trend you, you you expect to continue perhaps through 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 2018 I, I kind of do I mean what I hear when I speak to um, investors and also to a certain extent uh, top management um, at uh, commodity production companies, uh, they're very, very cautious. And I think this mood has really lasted for probably about a year now. Um, on the other hand, that's going hand in hand. And by the way, this tends to go with the oil companies as well. That's going hand in hand with successful deleveraging, successful uh, cost efficiency programs, um, all sorts of um, ways of calibrating themselves or recalibrating themselves to the new realities um, uh, of uh, being a large um, commodity producing company. Um, so you tend to think that um, given all that and, and the fact that we do actually have um, across the board uh, some strong prices here um, in commodities, and that does include oil, um, you tend to think that that suggests um, the ground uh, for the, the you know the year ahead looks good, and we we should see something of the order of the of the um, of the earnings uh, outcomes and the cash flow outcomes more importantly than we were seeing. But of course, um, you know one thing that does make me cautious is the fact that the um, uh, CEOs of these companies are very very cautious. They're not willing to really buy into their own stories just yet. That might be very very natural given the tumultuous um, recent history. But um, it's possible that um, there are more unknowns on the commodity front than say for the larger, uh, you know, consumer facing uh, firms like uh, Unilever, for example, and, and the banks. 
Mm. Um, Ken, how, how do you factor China into this? We're seeing some growth numbers or growth target numbers being released later this week. And I think that the, the market's expecting 6.5% as the, the, the number that China is going to, to aim for this year. Um, I mean, is, is that ambitious given the, the strong growth that it's building onto? And will that be supportive of commodities? Um, yes, I mean, I, I think you generally see um, Chinese uh, growth data and more importantly, I think, than the data, um, the um, optimism official and, uh, you know, uh, macroeconomically that backs the data. I mean, there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of uh, questions about the quality of the data. And, you know, um, they are a little bit of a black box, um, you know, uh, we'll leave it at that, compared to, say, readings that we might get from the United States and other large developed um, uh, producing nations. Um, but really, it's the quality of the data and um, also the strength of the indicators that we see um, in the lead-up to the main official data. I mean, there's really no question that these are giving a um, signal um, that is somewhat stronger than we were expected to see this time last year, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, the growth remains underpinned, and, and, the, and just as importantly, um, it looks like it's more sustainable than the growth that we were seeing, um, say, between 2014 to uh, 2015. So there, there's every reason to expect that um, what we saw um, from China in terms of the uh, commodity consumption, um, which um, tended to be quite a bullish sign for uh, the commodity complexes, uh, there's every reason to expect that those that, that continue can continue in 2018. Okay. Uh, well, let's get both of, both of your biggest risks that, that lie ahead, Simon. I mean, what, what, what would you see as a big risk this week, this year? We do have those uh, U.S. midterm elections coming up much later in the year. Um, I don't Anything else that could split I mean, the markets? The elections, I think not. I, I think there's certainly political risks. Someone has to just look to North Korea and what we've been seeing happening there. Uh, Midterm elections, you know, elections in, the, uh, in themselves, markets are you know, largely uh, ig ignoring in, in that sense. One of the things, and I did this analysis at towards the end of last year, is what are those giant risks on the horizon? Um, and they were hard to spot, and and you know that to me says well then then I mean it's not that they're not there, it's that we're just we're struggling to see them, um, and I think what that risk might be is 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 perhaps uh, something like a North Korea or perhaps a, a political situation, something in 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 Europe. The midterms in America are going to come and go. Someone will win. Uh, Trump will tweet, and and we will move <laughs> on. And um, Ken, Ken, what do you see as the biggest risks going going into 2018? Well, I really would uh, quite agree with your, um, you know, your, uh, your, my, my fellow um, uh, guest here. Um, I mean, in, in the months ahead, I think we can't really take our eye off the ball with respect to the Italian, Italian election. Um, I, I think, you know, many people are watching with alarm uh, the return to the stage of um, uh, Silvio Berlusconi and uh, the political forces that he represents. But on the other hand, um, what we have had is a recent history of Italian political events where, um, you know, the, the risk was very much contained or proved to be very much contained, even um, with, the, with the sort of a apparently dire risk of, of a referendum that could have returned, um, you know, um, uh, all sorts of wild card and outcomes and, uh, you know, threatened to upend the uh, teetering uh, banking sector, you know, the, the tentative signs of the of the um, sort of banking sector recovery in the country. So, um, and I would have said maybe earlier in the, in the year um, in Germany, um, a, an even more protracted 
path towards um, some sort of uh, formation of, of a government uh, there. But it looks like we're seeing now that some sort of a resolution is coming on, on that front. So generally speaking, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm quite sanguine about the risk. I mean, yes, there are uh, things that can definitely um, uh, uh, show major upsurges which have been unforeseen and I think North Korea is perhaps one of them although uh, again even even there you can see that the market is becoming habituated to the saber rattling the rhetoric uh, you know the launches and destinations um, with the last one uh, you know just towards the end of last year really causing barely a flicker across all markets around the world so um, I think it would take, it's a quite high bar for um, an occurrence in North Korea to actually occur that it can actually upend markets. So generally speaking, um, you know, touch wood, it, it is looking like a year where um, you shouldn't necessarily look to geopolitics for um, uh, really shocking events that can actually uh, destabilize markets. Okay, and gents, I'm afraid we have to leave it there. I'm so rattle my saber and in <laughs> the show. And that's all we have time for. Thanks again to Simon and to Ken for their insights. Many thanks to you for watching. Uh, next week we'll, week we'll be back with our regular portfolio analysis. Same time next week. Goodbye.